Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello, and welcome to the DJE Podcast. Got a great guest for you today. Young guy named Jonathan Tonks. He's an engineer um, and an entrepreneur and just a really sharp guy. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, really smart. He's done his homework, done uh, his homework in the real estate space, started out small with a, a duplex and then read um, a couple of books that inspired him to go into multifamily investing. And so he's done that in uh, really just kind of a remarkable journey of uh you know, I would say wanting something and figuring out a way to go out and make it happen and use the resources around you. So I get super fired up when I, when I talk to young guys or gals that are uh, entrepreneurial and going out and and making that happen. And and Jonathan's definitely one of those guys. So we had a, had a good conversation, talked about his systems, processes, his initial kind of education, um, getting in a mentoring group, getting around like-minded people, uh, leveraging his time through a virtual assistant, how he found his virtual assistant, some of the books he's read that have been instrumental for him, some of his systems, um, managing, which some may be relevant to some of you, managing his job as an engineer and wanting to be committed and do a good job there while also building a business that he'll eventually do full-time. And I think managing both of those, something I did for two and a half years, it was extremely challenging to to do that and juggle that, but he's kind of in the middle of that. So he's very candid about how he's managing that process. Um, and lots of other good stuff, talking shop about, about real estate stuff, about business stuff, about, about life and goals. And uh, that's why I do the podcast to talk to, to like-minded folks. Um, and Jonathan's definitely one of them. So we'll jump into that episode. A note from uh, the sp podcast sponsor, DJE Texas Management Group, is a San Antonio, Texas-based firm that I founded in 2012. We've done a lot of real estate deals since then. I've been a general partner in over 5,000 units of multifamily. We've done um, hundreds of millions of dollars of transactions at this point. And uh, we've got a growing investor base that comes into these projects along with us and, and partners with us. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to djetexas.com, also linked below in the show notes and get on our monthly newsletter, probably the easiest thing to do. And you'll see kind of monthly updates from us on our projects and things like that. And then if you want to explore uh, the possibility of partnering on one of our projects, you can see case studies and and kind of explore that path. But we're big on education. We've got a ton, you know, ton of podcasts out here and a lot of other educational events and things like that that we do. So that's at djetexas.com. Let's jump into this episode uh, with Jonathan Tonks. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. So here we go. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. How are you? Thanks so much, Devin. Happy to be here. I'm doing great. Yeah, excellent. Well, happy new year. We're kind of going over that. We're, we're recording here in the beginning of January 2023. Hopefully, yes, good things ahead. We've got uh, you know a Fed, a Fed environment and an interest rate environment that's a little bit of a headwind right now and creating all kind of chaos. But uh, it's a new year, new goals, all that stuff. So excited to dive in and glad to have you as the first uh, first interview of the year. So thank you for that. Absolutely, pleasure. Um, yeah, let's, let's you know, let's dive in, man. How, how did you get into real estate? What's what's your background for those folks sure. that are listening? Um, how'd you you know? Who are you? Where are you from? How'd you get into this game? Yeah. 
Happy to. My background is actually in engineering. Uh, my my family, both my parents uh, are electrical engineers, and my vision as a child, I mean, I was big on goal setting. You mentioned goal setting at the start of the year, right? My, sure. my goals as a young child was just to follow my dad's footsteps. I wanted to yeah. work up the corporate ladder, um, grow into an engineering role, program manager role, maybe an executive role. Um, leadership was always something that was exciting to me and, and a challenge just to learn and, and grow in. Um, so that was my vision as a young child was to grow up, be an engineer, work like my dad. And I started off on that path, went to college for mechanical engineering, also did some business on the side, just learning nuances, macro level scale of what is business and how does it function. And really, when I graduated college, I moved out to where I'm currently living in Holland, Michigan. And uh, that was when I had the opportunity. Um, this was early 2020. And before COVID had happened, and I was looking at getting a duplex, right? I was, I was looking right. at getting something that was generating um, revenue, helping on the mortgage payment, just keep expenses low. And I couldn't find anything that penciled. I couldn't find anything that that hit those 1% rules or whatever the metrics I was going by at the time. So sure. I was renting. I rented for a bit. And it yeah. was at the tail end of, of 2020, bought my first duplex um, in Holland, living in one unit, renting the other. And now was this my, I want to I want to sure. kind of jump in here is this was this because of a a book you read or did, was this just mm. something that like inherently made sense or what was the catalyst for for wanting to do that in the first place Yeah I had a good friend in college who introduced me to Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad Poor Dad yep. and uh, read through that a couple times um is understood the, the concept on your yeah, shelf behind you What's that is that one of the books on your shelf behind yeah, you? Yeah, it's probably up there. I've got a bunch of them up there but yeah, yeah. that was that was uh, the first real estate book very specifically that I read, I think the actual, the second real estate book I read was an apartment syndication book um, by Steve Burgess, old time book. Like, okay. um, and that was all about obviously syndications and, and raising equity, but um, Robert Kiyosaki was the first real estate book. What a book, man. I mean, the impact of that, that, that book had, um, it's probably ghostwritten to be honest, but it was like the impact of that book is like insane. Me, you, Anybody's ever been on a real estate podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I, authors, man. And I think it was just, it wasn't just that it was a real estate book. It was the fact that you're challenging conventional wisdom, right? It's, it's, Hey, let's look at Love this it. from the lens of, okay, there's a way to do it. And it might work the, the poor dad mentality. Like it might work if that's your vision, but there's another way to do it. Right. Right. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Real estate's almost uh, an afterthought. It's really about the freedom about building something long-term that can provide for you when you're not working, about separating your time from your income earning ability. I mean, all those concepts are incredibly exciting. Even though that book is like incredibly light on uh, tactics or practical stuff, it sure did create a lot of dream, launch a lot of dreams, right? right. For sure. For right. sure. Yeah. Cool. So you, you decided to, to, to do that. You know, that first, that first uh, duplex, um, you know, you're a young guy. How, how did the financing work out for that? Yes. I was going at the conventional route. I was trying to find something that was either seller finance or some more creative financing. Um, but yeah. what ended up working out was conventional, conventional uh, loan. And then I actually changed it into an FHA. Um, so I lived in it or I've been living in it for a couple of years, but I have the flexibility to do what I need to do. But yeah, FHA um, did a little bit of renovations to it, but it was, it was positioned at a a place where it was at the top of the market rent wise. Yeah. Yeah. And FHA is what? 3% down. 
three and a half. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty sweet. What's what is the market like in in Holland, Michigan? Um, you know, what's what's the what's the? I've, I've never looked at that market. Never. <laughs> I don't know if I've talked to anybody yeah. in that market. What what's the story there? Well, I actually didn't know anything about it till I moved out here, which is a whole okay. other story. But all right, nice. What's interesting is Holland, as at a macro level, Holland is a vacation town. We get a lot of traffic from Chicago people during the sure. summer. They vacation out here, um, or even people from Grand Rapids, which is uh, a larger metropolitan area about half an hour east of Holland. They'll come out right. here, and there's a lot of vacation homes, and there's a lot of um, very luxurious homes on the big lake, we call it Lake Michigan. So there's, there's a bunch of different yep. traffic. There's short-term rentals, although there's a lot of push against that in this area. But in terms of the rental market where I'm at in the city of Holland, um, we also have a large uh, Christian college, Hope College. So there's a lot of young influences in here. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, the old influence of family money, um, Chicago people, like I mentioned. So there's this huge dynamic of or, or dynamic range of people living in the city. So when I bought the duplex, right. I was very strategic. I said, I want to rent to young professionals. So that hyper-focused where I was going to buy, what not even the zip code, but what streets I was going to buy on, close to the college. If I wanted to rent to students, I had that flexibility. Um, but at the time, I bought the house for a little over 200000 And in in terms of the vast scale of the rest of the country, it was extremely affordable. Um, especially what the rents were at the time. Um, the apartments were were just pricing myself out of renting continuously. So I was looking at that duplex from that standpoint. What's the rent versus mortgage payment? Yeah. Nice. Nice. I like it. Um, any big surprises on that that first real estate investment that you didn't see coming or did it kind of go with a textbook type of execution? That's a great question. Um, there's always things that you don't see. I mean, being that engineer mind, I, all the little details bugged the crap out of me. I mean, <laughs> as soon as I got into this house was completely renovated when I purchased it. Okay. But I, I tell the story, I spent another six months or so with my dad and we, we just fixed everything to a plus level, right? We're, we're putting in yeah. sliding barn doors. We're redoing floor, like things that don't need to be done, but we wanted to do. And it, yeah. that was the moment where I said, I'm not going to flip houses because we're just not economical or efficient at it. But things that popped up were, um, I was very thankful. I had a tenant before I even closed on the house. That cool. was a blessing. Um, yeah, no doubt. The, That's awesome. Yeah. The, the realtor made that connection. Um, really, it was just learning how to be a great landlord and how to uh, write all the documents, put the, the operating agreements together. Um, so nothing out of the blue that really stuck out and nothing that caused a lot of headaches, but more self-imposed than anything. Yeah. You make a good point about flipping houses. You really have to do kind of a minimum viable product and, you know, mm. you, you'll do stuff if it is going to help the sales price, but if it's not, you don't do it. And I think that's hard for some people to wrap their head around. It's yeah. like, I mean, you, you, it's like, if you're flipping it to live in for the next 30 years, that's different than right. trying to kind of fix everything, clean it up and and make a profit because those profits can be eroded uh, very quickly. So, right. so you didn't go down the flipping route. Um, what did you decide to do is you kind of pursued your, your real estate investing journey here? Yeah. Originally when I bought that first duplex, I wanted to continue doing that. So take out the equity in the home and, and purchase another duplex or a quad or, or start scaling in that route. Um, yeah. But 
this is a part of the the market that I didn't mention. They weren't appreciating as fast as markets like Phoenix or the Carolinas. So I wasn't getting $100,000 in equity in a year that I could pull out and put into new property. Right. Um, and I mentioned that second real estate book that I read. Um, it was a complete guide to buying and selling apartment buildings by Steve Burgess. And that for me sealed the deal on multifamily and large scale investing because uh, the numbers to me is what makes the clarity. When I get yes. through, I mean, you got charts after charts and a lot of, for a lot of people, it's very laborious and it's not interesting, but when you can understand how it works and how the numbers affect each other and how you can, like you said, with flipping, get that very, um, or get the most output for, for the input that you're putting in. Right. That's when it made sense to me. It's like, okay, I can scale at a level where we're either raising money or putting in our own capital. And then we can have economies of scale with our management teams, with uh, the due diligence processes, like everything starts to make a little bit more sense and you have a little bit more flexibility. So from that point, I was like, how do I get into multifamily investing? I had no one who's ever done real estate on a mass scale like that. Started joining uh, in-person meetups, virtual meetups. Um, I joined a coaching program, had a few mentors through that group that just gave me a shot at the very beginning and just very gracious of, gracious of them. I told them, look, I can do some underwriting. Um, I've got a duplex. I can help tour properties. Like, what do you guys need? And at that time, the need was, we need some capital. If you want to help help raise a little bit of capital and close, um, you'll be able to see by doing and, and be part of this process with us. So that was, I mean, that was the clear path for me. It's like, all right, let's, I've never asked for money in my life, but let's figure out how to raise capital. And uh, very thankful that I have some people. And I think it's important to mention this, that first deal that I did, um, I had four investors who who partnered with us on that. And they were people that I've known for quite a while. So they've seen the journey. They're people that saw me do these little micro businesses in high school, college. They're people who um, have seen my trajectory of where I was trying to go in corporate America. So it wasn't like a cold call. Someone's got sure. a big check, right? Um, so I was very thankful that I had those connections. And that just goes to to say like down the road, as we continue to do more, and we have done more since then, it takes time to build those relationships. Absolutely. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I've learned this year. And just reflecting on the last year, we closed on four assets, 376 units, Beautiful. very proud of the team. And it's just the consistency by that fourth asset, which we closed right before Thanksgiving of last year. The people who were investing were people who I had been in meetups with earlier in the year, or I had invited to a conference, or I had shared um, our portfolio with like months in advance. So it's it's very fascinating right. to see how that comes into play. It's that patience, that active patience side of it. It's like we want to get it done now, but relationships take some time. Active patience, I love it. Yeah, we've seen you know some of the data on our newsletter. And so we've, we've published a monthly newsletter for over five years now consecutively, but you kind of see that somebody will read 10 of them. That's 10 months. Right. And then maybe on the 11th we in month that they've been in seeing our stuff, we launch a deal and they participate at maybe a minimum, right? $50,000, whatever the case is. And uh, that's great. You know, it, it, it does take time and it absolutely should take time. I mean, these are major financial commitments yes. that people are making and your ability to execute. And we tell people all the time, you know, if it doesn't feel right for you. Please don't do it like this. Real estate's not going anywhere. 
if somebody comes to you with a once in a life opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity, uh, don't invest in that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you know, uh, there, there was a there was a guy that just got indicted in uh, for for real estate deals he was doing, and you know the art he just got indicted for fraud on a whole bunch of stuff I won't get into, but you know the article said that he's pitching this deal to a doctor as a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I'm like, those words have never right. left my mouth ever in a decade of talking to investors once in a life. So yeah. if you're an investor and you hear that run away, um, you're building relationships and it takes time and it should take time. Right. Uh, and you're, you're, you're a young guy, but you're leveraging your other successes, your success in school, your success in the corporate world, your success in smaller projects, you know, people that get into this business in their forties or fifties and have established relationships, man, they can go out and raise capital pretty quick because yep. they've got the latest decades track record and, and other things, but you're right. But it is this snowball exponential effect that happens because now you're doing multiple deals. You know, you started with four investors, but you know, what, what, what's a kind of a project that you might launch in 2023? Like, give me an example of maybe the size units, amount of equity, that kind of thing. Yeah. So just as an example, we're probably looking at a hundred plus units, $20 million property raising 8 million, eight to 10 million. And yeah, scaling larger from that, even a couple hundred units at a time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just tremendous. And what, you know, if you were to tell yourself that when you're first reading that Kiyosaki book, that probably, that you probably wouldn't have believed it. Right. It, it never connected. Yeah. Apartment yeah. investing was never the thought process when reading Robert's book. It was how do you scale a single family yeah. portfolio? Absolutely. Yeah. But this thing, this weird thing kind of happens when you start hanging around. I mean, I guess it's really any peer group. Yeah. But you start hanging around a peer group. They talk about it like it's normal. I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is, is we're kind of normalizing this alternative investment for people that have never heard of it. And they listen to a couple of regular guys talking about raising $8 million for a deal that didn't come from a billion dollar family or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. And it kind of normalizes and go, you know what? Okay. There's a lot of people out there doing this and this, this can work and we can be better together by putting a team together. And so mm -hmm. hats off to you, man, in, in such a short time and doing, doing those types of deals. That's really exciting. Thanks, um, what have you found, you know, how has your process evolved on the capital raising side as you've, mm -hmm. you've gone through it. Now you've got a portfolio to point to, you've got, you know, the, these, these deals that are, that are out there that are, that you own, mm -hmm. you're an owner in these things. Um, how has your, your kind of equity raising process evolved over time? Yeah, that's a great question. I've spent a lot of time in these last few months refining and, and building on top of them, because I'd say the biggest change is the systems at first, mm -hmm. that first deal, I got the opportunity. I had a pitch deck in front of me and I just started calling everyone on my phone texting yep. them, email, like that's, that was the process. Like I'm yep. just going to get as many numbers and many calls out there as I can, whether it's cold call or warm call and yep. make this happen. It was just willing it to happen. Now it's that nurturing. Like I do a monthly newsletter as well. I send it cool. out to everyone in our database. And I'd say the biggest thing I've noticed just from speaking with people every day is I can really quickly assess where someone is in their investing journey. Yes. I can see, have you ever invested in anything outside the stock market or 401k? Have you done projects on the side? Are you looking to do things more actively or passively? Or are you at the stage of life where it's like, hey, I got a $50,000 tax bill this year and I need to figure out how to fix that. 
And what yep. are your solutions for this? So very quickly, I can pick that out. Um, but I've just been developing systems at this time to the point where I hope that by the time someone schedules a call with me, all their big level questions are answered. And by the time we're on a Ooh, call, but... the discussions we're having is what is the specific opportunity you have? Or how can I specifically tailor a unique opportunity to my situation? And in that case, we can be very hyper-focused on that conversation and that relationship. So the idea is everyone going through our system and our website and all the opportunities and free resources we give out, I want to answer every question possible before they even get on a call. I love it. Yeah, that way that that precious time on that call is the most the maximum value for, for that right. party. The, right. you know, getting questions answered that they can't get answered. I had a very similar experience and early on developed a bunch of FAQ videos and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of the same 10 questions on every, on every call. And yeah. you kind of realize, okay, I think I could address these maybe in an FAQ video series or other content. How have you done that from a content perspective to kind of catch somebody up that is, you know, a capable, smart professional, but they just don't know much about, let's say, multifamily syndications. There is kind of that base layer, those 10, 12 questions that everybody has. How did you address that in a way that was, you know, scalable and can kind of get all that out of the way up front? Yeah, I have a, a virtual assistant who helps me out with a lot of this and a lot of cool. the automation piece, but we just refer back to all of those newsletters and all that content that we've produced in the past. So, yeah. hey, this is going to answer Exactly. And a lot of our newsletters, I don't know how you guys plan them out. Um, I imagine you have a team that does that, but a lot of the newsletters that we've produced have directly come from questions that our investors have. Cool. So I had, yeah. it was the second or third asset we invested in. I kept having people asking, like, I don't really understand the difference between IRR, AAR, and cash on cash. Like, can you help explain like, what should I know and how yep. do I differentiate? Like, what are these percentages mean? So we yep. did a whole newsletter, like these are terminologies that you're going to see on every pitch deck that we send to you. Like, here's what they mean. So a, a lot of those questions I don't get anymore because yep. we address those. So um, a lot of what we produce comes from the questions and concerns that come from our investors. But yeah, th the main thing is we just keep this database of resources that we can provide, like the podcasts I'll post on the website so people can listen to them again and whatever they need um, as easily accessible as they can be. Yeah, I love it. And you're building this content library over time that you can reference forever. Uh, it's very, very efficient and helpful for your prospective investors too. You know, um, they want to kind of consume that on their own time and and in their own way. And you provide an avenue to do that. You mentioned the VA. Let's talk about that. You know, I think um, lots of virtual assistants. There's a lot of business owners that don't use them at all. Uh, you know, I'm in some peer groups where with some big companies and they're, they're, they don't use a single, single one. It seems to be more the thing for kind of the scrappy entrepreneur because mm. it's a, an effective way to get some stuff off your plate and it's low cost. Yeah. How'd you get into hiring a VA? You know, what's sure. that process been like? Where'd you find them? All that good stuff. Yeah. Great questions. And I would recommend before I even answer that to read the book, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Love it. Dan Sullivan. I read that book and that was when I sent out an application for a, yeah. a VA. Um, I had known some guys, and again, this goes back to the network, a few guys who either had VA businesses, like they're helping people find VAs, or they've used them in the past sure. and posted about it. So I yep. reached out to those guys and said, hey, I'd like to learn a little bit more. Like, how did your contract, what was it structured like? Where'd you find them? And ultimately, um, I went through some of the, the sites that try to handpick them for you, but I like 
creating my own assignments for them. So I went cool. on onlinejobs.ph. It's a Filipino-based um, Indeed is what I call it. It's an Indeed yep. for the Philippines. And uh, I knew exactly based on, so I did a lot of research on this, uh, research on what personality types fit best in certain roles that you're looking for. Like a marketing director is going to have a different personality type than someone who's doing outbound calls yeah. and very, very different. Right. So I first had to identify, what am I looking for? I was looking for a marketing director, someone who could do a lot of the content, the behind the scenes automation. Um, someone who's got a creative mind, someone who can do all of that. And I've created a, a job posting. I had a few, I had a, quite a few uh, people reach out a few hundred actually. Wow. Um, but I had, I had to use this uh, checklist of I'm looking for this exact person filter through and we did it down to maybe four or five young ladies in the Philippines and um, basically gave them an assignment. I said, teach me what a real estate syndication is in your method of choice. Show me what that wow. looks like. Yeah. And they all did something different, which was fascinating. Some people sure. did a one page blog. Some people did um, like a, a, a reels or a short, like a few snippets of, of photos. And I ultimately went with the one that it was better than what I had expected, but I went with the ones that I knew was going to relate best to what we're trying to pursue. So that's how I found um, my virtual assistant. She's been great. She's um, she's just rock solid doing anything yep. and everything. And she handles all the automation piece. So I frankly couldn't tell you, Devin, if, if you asked me, how do we, how do we create another landing page and, and send out a new newsletter and automate it? So I could tell you how, but I probably couldn't do it in an efficient amount of time. So that's the biggest thing, whether it's big business, small business is like, what's your time worth? Because I know we could figure it out and give us enough time and resources. We will figure it out. But is it worth me spending an entire Saturday learning how to create an automated uh, piece of content or right. someone who's good at it and whose mind thinks like that? She can do it immediately overnight while I'm sleeping and I wake up in the morning and it's ready to go. Like, what's your time? Oh. Yeah. You know, Dan Sullivan should hear this, right? As a testimonial for uh, his book, Who Not How, which, uh, and Ben Ben Hardy too, I think who actually. Yes. Ben Hardy was his who, right? When yeah. Dan <laughs> ben like, wrote the book. <laughs> you write the yeah. book. But yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And thanks for walking us through very specifically sure. how to do the, do the VA uh, thing. That can be, you know, overwhelming for for some people, but that that's awesome. How long has she been with you? It'll be a year at the end of February. Cool. Cool. Almost a year. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's great, man. And those are, you know, those are awesome jobs for people in the Philippines. Yes. You know, yeah. Pay well, it's remote. They, I mean, they, they love working for American companies. And so, you know, I struggle with it a little bit. We like creating jobs here. We've got most 80 yeah. employees, you know, most of that's on the management company and some corporate staff. And I love creating jobs in, in San Antonio where we're based, but I also have a responsibility to all the stakeholders, employees, investors, my family to, to have a profitable business. And some of the way to do that is to spread your labor, labor force out globally, right? It's just the kind of the responsible thing to do from a, from a PL perspective. So um, yeah, cool. Thanks for, for jumping in on that. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, well, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about the market. You, you guys have done, did a lot of deals last year, 376 units in 2022. Um, rates are pretty hot right now compared to where they were, you know, a year ago, six months ago. What are you guys seeing as you go and the teams are out there looking for deals? Um, and what's kind of your thought process around how to 
you mentioned being goal oriented. I'm, I'm definitely the same way. Yep. You know, what do you see for this kind of year ahead here as we're, we're just starting 2023? Absolutely. And I've, I've got a couple of different things that come to mind. So first off is we're not going to stop. We're going to continue yeah. looking and we're going to continue going through. Um, of, it's just an added challenge ahead of us, a, a little bump in the road, I would say. And we don't really know how long, yeah, we don't really know how long it's going to last or what extent the rates are going to go to, but there are some things that we can control that we should be cognizant of as we go through. So first is our output of how much, how many deals are we seeing in deal flow? How yep. many um, different sources are we using? What resources are we, are we leveraging to our advantage there? Um, and a lot of that comes from past relationships. So um, I'll use this example, the last asset we closed last November, um, the developer of the property still owned half of these units and only mm -hmm. half of them were for sale. So the idea was, I think he wanted to see what are these going to sell at and what's the price point. And then he wanted to exit the other half. So to, keeping that ma relationship, maintaining that over these next few months is going to be critical. When he wants to sell, we want to be the ones who are going to buy that up. So right. that's just one example, right? Um, of course, as best of rates as you can get without doing things that are disadvantage or um, not advantageous to our shareholders or our, our investors. So we're not doing anything that's um, variable rates, all fixed fixed rates. Sure. Um, yep. I think that's the wise thing to do at this time. Um, and then I think another creative solution that we can look at is what are other ways other than forced appreciation that we can add value to these assets? And maybe like it, it means digging in a little bit more on the expenses and saying, how can we, I'll just side note really quick. We first and foremost, look at how do we increase the value of the assets to increase rent premiums? Right. So that's, that's a primary source of income for us. Um, a lot of the larger groups I know that are doing more class B, class A properties, they'll have covered parking. They'll have a lot of different revenue streams that come in through the business. Um, but other ways that we can look at that, that I don't think we're digging into as much is how do we reduce our expenses? How do we get that to a level if, if um, we need things metered out separately or, or we're, we need to update all of our utilities, meaning uh, re-quoting everything? Like, are we doing that every year? Um, or has it slowly trickled up year over year and is it adding up? So there's a few things that I think we can do um, just uh, moving forward, looking ahead, um, just staying diligent on those sides. Yeah, I love it. We we just sent out our newsletter and um, for January, and I usually write a little a little note at the top there. And it's it's you said it, it's about controlling the things in your sphere of influence, right? Obviously, there's always going to be all these things outside of our sphere of influence that we can't control, but controlling things and controlling your KPIs, controlling your daily kind of activity and inputs uh, consistently or growing that. It's really all, all you can do. I mean, there's all these externalities that that are going to change, but you don't just sit on the sidelines for two years. I mean, we're professional investors, right? We go to work and we figure out how to how how to add value and how to bring along people for for the the ride with us. So um, appreciate your your feedback on that. Um, yeah, that's exciting, man. So are you still, um, are you working? Are you full-time real estate yet? What's your, you know, what's your, how, how old are you, by the way? I, I know you're a young guy. Yeah, I'll be 26 in a couple of weeks. Awesome, man. I, I love to see it. You, you're, you've obviously spent a lot of time studying this business and I didn't start in this business until I was like 36. So okay. I just love seeing a, a, somebody young get out there and actually go from 
reading the books and wanting to do it, which is like this huge contingent of people, right. To this much, much smaller contingent of people that like are owners. And once you kind of get over to that world and it can grow, it's just super exciting to see. So yeah. What's your work situation right now? You working, are you working towards being a full-time entrepreneur? Are you going to do both for a while? Where are you at? Yeah. Even before I answer that question really quick, Devin, I I just want people to know, I, I hope my age shows that it's possible. And I've met teenagers who are doing this, which is like, there's no excuses. And I hope it also shows that people like yourself, Devin, there's so many people who have experience who are willing and able to share that with you. 100%. It's a form of podcast or just jumping on the phone to chat. Like there's so many resources out there. Um, There's, there's no reason why another engineer like myself can't turn and do this. Maybe they're more on the underwriting side because they love the numbers, but I just hope yeah. that's an encouragement. You know, there's, there's a lot of help out there. Um, so there's, there sure is. There's a ton of resources and that's a, it's a, it's a coin with two sides because one side of the coin is, Oh my gosh, there's really like unlimited opportunity to learn passively yeah. and then even to connect with people and even to connect with people. Maybe they're really experienced and they'll, they'll help. The other side of that coin is, you don't have an excuse, right? Yes. If you're yeah. not doing it, that is on you. And a lot of people are not ready to hear that. And that's fine. But, you know, the flip side of all this abundant opportunity to learn and network and yeah. grow is that, hey, man, there's no excuse. Like, get out there. If, if you want to assume you want to do it, get out there and freaking do it. And so yep. that's why I like, one of the things that I love about this podcast is talking to people that are actually like you, that are actually going out and doing it right. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't an excuse. There's always going to be challenges, but that we have this unprecedented opportunity to go out and learn and network and connect with people. And it's kind of one of these things is overly simplistic, but it's like either you achieved it mm-hmm. or you didn't want it bad enough. And I don't know. It's, it's like, if you wanted it bad enough, you wouldn't have figured out a way to do it. And it wasn't some secret. It wasn't some shortcut. It was just wanted bad enough and going out there and doing it. So clearly you want it bad. You you went out and made it happen. I I love it. And I think that's an encouraging note that you make to people at any stage, right? Kids, people in careers, the the whole thing. So yeah. Yeah. But going back to your, your original question there, um, I've been struggling with, and also working through how to manage both working yes. at a full-time occupation and also running a business and actually a second business that just started um, yep. mergers and acquisitions based. So buying small businesses locally. Okay, cool. And the challenge has been, I've been very transparent with my, my company and, and the people I work with, and they're very gracious and supportive of, of what I do outside of work, which is a right. blessing in and of itself. Sure. But this concept of how do you leave well and mm how do you exit uh, a company that's taken very good care of you? Right. I don't, I don't take that lightly. Um, I'm very loyal by nature and um, just the thought of dropping it and going full time. I know it's the right thing to do and uh, very soon. However, it's a difficult decision nonetheless. And that concept, how do I leave? Well, how do I leave this company in a better place than when I got here? How do I leave my projects in capable hands and with the teams that I know are going to take good care of the projects and, and take it to completion. So that's, that's something I've struggled with, but also been working through. Um, I anticipate um, probably this year, I will be um, going full-time in both businesses, both uh, commercial real estate and some of those mergers and acquisitions locally, and just be leading those, those two teams to build those out. 
I love it. Thanks for your transparency on that. And, and, you know, I think, um, a lot, I did two and a half years of both. It was mm. extremely difficult. I was married, had three kids. Yeah. Uh, life didn't work. <laughs> it was like <laughs> party time, man. It was an adventure. I was working like all the time. I mean, yeah. uh, but it was all for this dream of, man, one day I think if I can run my company, I think I'd do something really big with it. And that happened. And so, um, but there is that overlap period that's, that's difficult. And a friend of mine who's a very successful entrepreneur described it just as, as rocket fuel. You know, the, the, mm. the, the rocket, SpaceX rocket getting off the ground has these massive fuel tanks and it takes a ton of energy to get out of the, out of the gravity um, of Earth. But once, you, once you're out, it takes very little energy. Yep. And so, you know, the, the, the fuel that's required to, to get out of the orbit of earth is, is a lot of or the orbit and the gravity of that job is, is a lot, but I, I really appreciate the way you're, I mean, I've worn a lot of hats. I'm a, I'm an employer now. And so I kind of look at things different than I was employee, but I, as an employer, I definitely appreciate your, you know, wanting to leave the company well, leave the projects w- well off and leave the place better off than, than, uh, than you found. And I think that's a very yeah. noble kind of way to approach that at the same time, you know, we talked about what's your time worth, the opportunity mm-hmm. cost, you know, I remember thinking about the opportunity cost of going to a six-figure job when I when I had it was eventually like this this job is costing me money because of the potential of what I think the business could do. So, mm-hmm. um, such an exciting journey. I, I'm I'm cheering for you. You know, I think Thanks, entrepreneurs man. that actually go out and do this are a small subset of the population. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, this, you know, that's why I do this podcast. So I can talk to people like you and, yeah. and kind of uh, uh, talk at people, talk to people at different parts of their journey. Um, but how about some longer term goals? You know, you've got, you've got a yeah. business, you've got the engineering job, you've got multifamily investments, you know, what are you thinking on kind of like a five or 10 year horizon? I mean, it's, it seems like people like you, um, don't just want to cash a big check and, sure. and go fishing for the rest of their life. There's probably some other stuff out there. I'd love to love to learn what that is for you. Well, if you like to hear it, I've actually never told a few people of this, this goal. So I'll tell it to you, Devin, you, you sucked cool. it out of me. I'll, I'll share it with you. <laughs> right. A couple of years ago, um, I locked myself in my room for a few hours and I just started journaling and it was at a yep. time where I was like, I don't know if this is the right path. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. But in those those hours, I was just quietly journaling and and just listening for answers. Um, something that came up in my mind or, or that I audibly heard was uh, something called people's venture. And I didn't really, I still don't really know what that means. But essentially, what I I have deduced since that time is a collaboration of, of continuing to help people invest. But I love the venture capitalist private equity space. I love to build out firms that can serve causes and serve people in a way that um, is going to be contributing to the society and contributing to life and in, in the long term. Like I'd love to see generations after generations continue to thrive. And I hate the statistic that 90% of family wealth is gone by the third generation. I don't like seeing that. Right. So really right. this people's venture that alternative investing but also investing in general is commonplace. The norm passive income is commonplace. I want to see that happen for people. Um, I think it opens so much of people's personal creativity and people's opportunity when you're not worrying about money. And that's a difficult place to get to for a lot of people. And it's an uphill climb for sure. 
Um, but five, 10 years down the road, if I don't have a, a firm that's enabling people, empower people that whether it's still in multifamily commercial, whether we're doing um, private equity and small businesses, a way to get more people to invest as a commonplace strategy. That's what I like to see. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, we've got Maslow's hierarchy and if you're stuck in the bottom kind of survival portion of that, you're not going to be contributing or, or doing the things maybe that you're fully capable of in our, our short time here. So I, I love, I love that enablement and, um, that definitely resonates with me. So mm. thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, this has been great. I, I, it's great to get to know you and catch up with you. I'm, I'm super excited about what's ahead for, for you and companies that you're a part of. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, learn yeah. more about what you're up to, how can they do that? Yeah, the best place is um, my real estate company, provisionspace.com. If you want to check out those early mergers acquisitions, it's going to be called tonksandkimball.com. Um, so both those websites, the only social that I'm really active at this time is LinkedIn. So you can just search my name, Jonathan Tonks on LinkedIn. Um, those are the best places. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can click straight through and go uh, visit Jonathan's website and and um, get connected there. But Jonathan, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. You Thank bet. you for jumping on. It was great catching up. And um, look, man, happy new year. And I wish you success in the year ahead. You as well, brother. Thank you so much. All righty. Take care. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.